Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Um, why do we sing those words? Why do we sing them to our children? Why do we sing them to ourselves? Um, they're powerful words, believe it or not. In fact, the, uh, the theologian Karl Barth said that basically those words were a testimony to his coming to Christ. He read the Bible and he believed that Jesus loved him. We, we find comfort in those words. We find comfort in the fact that, that we're loved. And we co find comfort in the fact that there's proof of that love. It isn't just Jesus loves me this I know. It's Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so. Otherwise, you don't know. I, I had a friend of mine who, um, jokingly, but um, in his apartment, he was single at the time, and he had a framed picture of Helen Hunt. You know, the actress, some of you younger might not remember her. But he had a framed picture of her in his hallway, okay? And I remember walking in one time and I said, what is that? He goes, that's Helen Hunt. I said, I, I know that. Why do you have her picture framed? And he says, well, she, she's going to be my girl one day. And I, and I said, and does she have your picture framed in her hallway? Because if she doesn't, that's a non-starter. See, you can, you can love someone or you can say they love you, but you got to have proof for it. Because if there's no proof, there's no authority for what you say. And that's why we, we appreciate the words, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And as, as much as we can look at it and say, well, yeah, but that was when we were kids. Let's face it, as adults, we still do it in one sense or another. I mean, you can even hear people who aren't overly religious will claim some truth and then will say, and the Bible says it too. Because you need authority to back up what you say. Um, last week we started talking about mastering the basics. That as we go in this new year, we're going to look at mastering what really matters to be mastered. That all of the other things that we try to master in a new year, we try to change, perfect, it, it's, it's futile, first of all, on our own, and it's futile in the sense of, if it doesn't have anything to do with our relationship with God, even if we master it, it's going to pass. And there's no better place uh, to start when you talk about mastering the basics than to talk about the Bible. Because without the Bible, you don't even know the basics. Last week, we, um, we talked about where the Bible came from, and not specifically in that light. We talked about God. We said, if you're going to master the basics, you have to know about God. Because everything comes from him. And we looked at Deuteronomy 6. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And what we saw in that is you've got to come to the point of understanding that there is a God, that he is one, and that you are to love him with everything. In fact, we said when it comes to God, mastering the basics really means when our affection and our attention come together solely for him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. That when our affection is met with our attention, our attention is directed solely at him. And as I said last week, that could mean in a modern day translation, love the Lord your God with all of your money, with all of your time, with all of your talent, with all of your ambitions, with all of your passions. Let your affection and your attention come together. That's what it means to master the basics when it comes to loving God. Well, this morning, we're going to look at what it means to master the basics when it comes to the Word of God, to the Bible. Because we can only know of God like we can know of someone around us. They have to reveal themselves to us. If they don't reveal themselves, then we can't know them. Imagine if you went on a a date with somebody and you picked them up and they didn't say a word to you. And all through the date, they wouldn't answer any questions and they wouldn't ask any questions. What would you know about them? Nothing. To know God means to have God reveal himself to us. And God has done it primarily in two ways. One is we see him in everything around us. We call that general revelation. The fact that, that we can look around us and if, and if we are ob- objective enough and honest enough, we can say, you know, Men didn't build those trees. Uh, men didn't put uh, the sun in the sky or, or the stars in space. We know that. We can just look at it and say, I, I've never met anybody who could do something like that. I've never met anyone that, that can, can put together an ocean with all of uh, the sea life within it. General revelation tells me that, that there is a God but it doesn't tell me a whole lot more. I might be able to look around and and do a sociological study and and pick up some norms and say, you know, every culture doesn't like it when you steal. Every culture doesn't like it when when you commit adultery with somebody's wife. Every culture uh, doesn't like it uh, when you lie. But I'd have to travel around to every culture to make that observation. God gives us his general revelation, but then he gives us special revelation. And that's what we're talking about in the Bible. Special revelation is God speaking to us. It is God telling us who he is, who we are, and what he requires 
of us and all that he's done for us. Um, so when we talk about God revealing himself and God revealing himself in the Bible, what's key? What's uh, the most basic we need to know about that? And what I'm going to tell you this morning, the principle that we're going to look at is it's trusting, when we talk about the scriptures, trusting in its authority and following it authentically. Trusting in its authority and then following it authentically. You can say you believe in the Bible. But if it's just cognitive, if it doesn't become behavioral, then how much do you believe? The, the Hebrews believed this, unlike the Greeks. The Greeks were all caught up in knowledge and, and understanding, but the Hebrews believed this. If you want to know what a man believes, watch how he behaves. If you want to know what, what a man believes, watch how he behaves. Because we can believe stuff all over here and behave all over here and the two never come together. The basics when it comes to the scriptures is believing in its authority but following it authentically. I believe what it says and to the best of my ability I try to follow it. Now do we believe in what it says just because it says it? Um, well, no, we're not ignorant. And, and let me say this. You can argue for the Bible all day long. And people can go after you and go after In fact, uh, um, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, I'd rather defend a lion than defend the Bible. And he wasn't saying that the Bible wasn't defendable. He just said... You can go around and around and around with it. And people will still try to undermine. But, but I, I, want you to, I, I want you to understand just a couple of fundamentals. And, and to make it easy, I've broken it, broken it down um, um, in an acrostic with the word Bible. So you can kind of remember it. And we're going to go through this real quick. So how do we know that's authoritative? How do we know that it's real, that it's true? Well, one, because of its biographical evidence. Um, and, and what do I mean by biographical evidence? The fact that you can look at the Bible, and this is what is so cool about the Bible. You can look at the Bible and compare it to any other kind of ancient literature. And you know what you find? The Bible is more credible. There are over 5,000 manuscripts that we have of the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, dating back to right about 125 years after the events of the New Testament. Now, why do you say that's a big deal? Because, well, Homer's Iliad has about eight manuscripts, and the closest you can get to it is about... 900 years, uh, excuse me, 1,400 years. Aristotle's polemics, same thing, the closest you can get. So what we know about the scriptures, 
that make them true is when you look at the biographical evidence, you won't find any ancient manuscripts where you have a multitude of copies and the copies you have only are about a hundred years from the original writings. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. In fact, you can look at all of the scriptures, old and new, and you can find in one way or the other a closeness and relationship that you can't find to any other text in the world. Biographical evidence, I, internal evidence. And what does that mean, internal evidence? Um, The fact that you look at the scriptures and and you find over 40 uh, authors, three different languages, and you can argue there might be a little bit more than three in some of the words that are used in the New Testament, um, in a span of 1,500 years. And you know what you find? It holds together. There's a continuity to it. You can look at the message of the Old Testament and the message of the New Testament and there is a continuity to it. You can look at all of Paul's writings and there is no contradiction in them with the Gospels or the Gospels with Paul's or Paul's with Peter's or Peter's with John. It holds together. There is uh, internal uh, evidence, internal continuity to it. B, biblical prophecy. How do you know it's true? I mean, look, from Genesis through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, I mean, the minor prophets, all pointing to Christ and pointing beyond Christ. And then as you look at the New Testament, the book of Revelation and, 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 and the pro- prophetic words spoken and, and, and Timothy and, and the Gospels uh, and Thessal- Thessalonians, all pointing to future events. When you look at the Old Testament, you watch those future events become unfurled. You can almost chart Israel's history through, those, through the words of Daniel. What makes it real, what makes it authentic, uh, 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 authoritative to us is that we can look at it and say, yeah, there's biographical evidence. There's internal evidence, internal consistency. And you can look at the biblical prophecy and say, look, from Old Testament to New, things are prophesied and you can point to dates and times when they come true. But the one I love the most is um, lives that are changed. For over 2,000 years, just within the Christian faith alone, never mind the Hebrew faith, but for over 2,000 years, people's lives have consistently been changed through the preaching of the gospel. Important people, important institutions, you look at Harvard, Princeton, Yale, they were all started by Christians. You look at uh, some of the uh, early reformers, Frederick Douglass, an abolitionist, Christian. Martin Luther King, Christian. The inventor of the MRI, Christian. People who, who were not naive, people who were not uneducated, 
And yet, people who are humbled by the truth of the scriptures. Look at yourselves. Generation after generation, lives changed by the Bible. Chuck Colson, I mean, you know, the hatchet man of Watergate. A Brown University lawyer who had risen to the top to the White House. And yet humbled before the cross of Christ. To me, the most powerful thing of why the Bible really matters, why it's authoritative, is look at the lives through the centuries of people who have been transformed. Degenerates, alcoholics, criminals, philanderers, people who just turned it around, families restored because they trusted in God and they trusted in the word of God. E, and that's external evidence. And I could go through a whole bunch of these, but I'm not going to. But just when you look at some of the external evidence, for years, critics said that um, there was no such thing as a Hittite empire as spoken about in the scriptures. Uh, Yet in 1906, guess what archeologists found? There was evidence of the Hittite empire. Uh, I love what uh, Dr. Gary Habermas from Liberty University had a chance to study with him, great guy. Um, He says that within 110 years of Christ's crucifixion, approximately 18 non-Christian sources mention more than 100 facts, beliefs, and teachings from the life of Christ in early Christendom. uh, These items, I might add, he says, mention almost every major detail of Jesus' life, including the miracles, the resurrection, and his claims to deity. Uh, Liberal scholars who said that there was no such place as Nazareth and then finally discovered there was a place called Nazareth. The external evidence, you can just keep going and going and going. Yeah, we have a reason to believe that the Bible's true. Now, I can say that to any unbeliever, and they can sit there and argue all day long with it. And I can sit there and argue all day long with it because the truth is on my side. But at the end of the day, God opens our hearts and our minds and our eyes and the truth rings clear to us. What's the power of God's Holy Spirit? It is to open you to the truth and the love of God. And when you read the scriptures, it speaks truth and love. Authenticity and authority. I want to just take a minute, to, to a couple minutes, to look at a passage of scripture with you. Because when you talk about the Bible, you really can't even talk about it. If you want an, an in-depth study of the Bible, go to Psalm 119. Because Psalm 119, all 176 verses, and, and that's pretty incredible. The largest uh, psalm, the largest ch- chapter in the Bible is written about the Bible. And I, and I just wanna, I wanna take you just for a, a brief little tour through it. Because what I want you to see here is what makes the Bible so important to us. 
why we can't neglect it. Because we do, and that's a sad part. If you were to say to the average Christian, tell me about the Bible, what would they say? Well, it's, it's, it's black, and I guess if you're liberal, it probably can be red or pink or brown. Um, and it's heavy, um, and it doesn't make a good table book, and you don't have to really read it to be a Christian because evidence is most Christians don't read it. And what happens? God doesn't love them? No. They're not saved? No. They're missing out? Oh, absolutely. They're getting themselves in a lot of trouble every day. They're walking around wondering and questioning and doubting because they don't understand? Oh, yeah. What's basic? Understanding that it's authoritative and then pursuing authenticity with it as it looks to make us authentic. So here we go. I'm just going to look at this real quick. I just want you to see the power of it. Psalm 119 begins this way. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts. So he comes right out of the gate saying what? Blessed are you whose ways are blameless because you walk according to the law. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all of his heart. Now that's interesting. Seek him with all of his heart goes right back to Deuteronomy 6, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your strength. How do you do that? You've you got to seek him. Your attention has to go with your affection. Next verse. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. What's one of the benefits that we get from reading the scriptures? Is understanding what's right, what's godly, what's holy, what's pure. Because without reading the scriptures, you wouldn't know. I sit with people who share all kinds of ignorance with, it, with me authoritatively. Well, God wants me to be happy, so I get to do whatever makes me happy. No. God wants you holy. Because you can't be holy without, be happy without being holy. And holiness means purity. What did Job say? I made a covenant with my eyes not to look, to look at a woman in an impure way. Paul in, in 1 Timothy says, treat older women like mothers and younger women like sisters with absolute purity. The Bible helps us to know what is pure, what is right, how to treat people as human beings. Because without the Bible, you're going to treat people as objects. I mean, when I think of Islam, that you can take a person, slap a bomb on them, and send them out for your cause. Those, they just treat people as objects. 
and ends to a means with all sorts of manipulation and promises. God gives us his word to help make us pure and to help us to live holy. Next slide. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. When you read the scriptures, it helps you to look at the world differently, to look at the people around you differently, to be able to mind the richness of what God has put in the creation and to understand this is wonderful. God made this for me. Because without the scriptures, you, you'll never know what wonder is. You'll never connect the dots. How many Christians, I know people who have said they're Christian or they're Catholic and they believe in abortion. Because they, they don't know that they have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Because they don't read the scriptures. Next verse. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. We all know that one, don't we? How many times have you been down or depressed or, or hurt and struggling and barely holding on and, and, and so you read your Bible and then you are built right up. I mean, that's a wonder of the scriptures that in some of my loneliest moments in some of my desperate moments to go to God's word and to read something that gives me assurance that God loves me, that God has a plan for me, that all he wants me to do is the next right thing and it'll be okay. And when I fall down, he still loves me. See, you need the Bible. You need to read it because it gives you assurance daily. Next verse. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. <laughs> Why? Because I don't know what's true without the Bible. I don't know what's real without the Bible. Without the Bible, I'm like a psychotic person living outside of reality. Yeah, I might not look that way because I live in the reality of this world, but I am so far away from reality as far as God is concerned, and I don't even know it. The Bible helps to bring me back to center, to bring me back to baseline. Baseline for what it means to be a child of God. It helps me not to enter into deceptive ways. Deceptive ways of others or my own self-deception that happens so easily and so frequently. Find a person who doesn't read the Bible, Christian or not, and you're going to find a fool. Because they're living based on their own understanding and our understanding is flawed. Next verse. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Pursue pleasure and you'll end up an alcoholic or a drug addict. Pursue greed and you will end up being suspicious 
and competitive and isolated. Pursue anything that isn't what God would have you to pursue and it's worthless. You want to pursue riches? You want to make money your God? It will laugh in your face. Because just when you get there and you have it, you get hit with cancer. Just when you think you've got what you need, you'll lose somebody you love. Just when you've accumulated enough, the market will crash. It'll all prove worthless. And you'll feel foolish. Next verse. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought your precepts. That's absolutely true. I can't tell you, literally, how many prisoners that I I have um, communicated with back and forth who just, who simply got early parole because they turned their lives around and they began to follow the scriptures and they stayed away from drugs and they stayed away from fights and they stayed away from bad behavior and they learned how to be kind and gentle and to show what it means to be courteous and they found favor with the guards. They found favor with the parole board. But it's the same with us. You want to walk in slavery? Walk in sin. You want to walk in freedom? Walk in obedience to God's word. God's word gives you freedom. Without it, there is no freedom. Next verse. Teach me knowledge and good judgment for I believe in your commands. Well, all you have to do is move over from the Psalms to, to Proverbs, and Proverbs makes it very clear. Either you walk in wisdom or you walk in foolishness. What does the Bible do? It teaches me knowledge. I've shared this story, but it's close to my heart. When I was a young kid, I quit high school in eighth grade. Uh, quit, yeah, quit. Yeah, that's really good. Quit high school in eighth grade. Hmm. Yeah. Quit high. Quit school when I was in eighth grade. And never graduated again. No. Um, and um, and took a job working in a sneaker factory. And I I worked with this guy by the name of Billy, and uh, Billy couldn't read. He couldn't write, um, and yet he. And he was kind of awkward socially, and people made in front of him, but he had a sweet spirit. He was a nice guy. And, um, and every day he would go and sit on the loading dock with our foreman, who was a Christian. And they would sit there, and the foreman would open the Bible, and he would read it to Billy. And Billy would memorize it. He'd come back, and at different times he would uh, give scripture to me. And, and Billy was one of the smartest people I knew. Even though economically and educationally it didn't show. And it was because of him I went back to school. And it was because of him a seed was planted in me. Good judgment. Good judgment comes from the scriptures. It doesn't come from degrees on the walls. I have to tell you, three masters, almost two doctorates, 
and, and all those programs, I've sat around sometimes and I've looked and I've thought, including myself, if this is the top, <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> because it doesn't matter how educated you are. You can still lack judgment. Some of the best people I know with the greatest discernment are not educated, but they are sanctified in God's word. And what a powerful tool that is. Next verse. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. Why do we trust in God's word? Because it's eternal. And eternal in the sense that God's faithfulness is going to be there today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. You don't have to worry about it, 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 it being obsolete. You know, it, it drives me crazy when I'll hear a liberal Christian say, well, that, that was cultural for that time. What are you talking about? It wasn't cultural for that time. It was just as absurd in that time as it is in our time. The minute the Bible doesn't look absurd to the culture, it's not the Bible. And yet, God is faithful. When I trust in his promises, they will bring me home every time. God's word is faithful. It never returns to him void. Next verse. To all perfection, I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. We can't be perfect, but God's word is. And all we have to do is is to just look and follow and let it perfect us. We can't perfect it, but it will perfect us. I work with people sometimes who, uh, who are OCD and everything's about perfection, 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 and they can't, and they get paralyzed. Because we, we, we're trying to perfect the wrong things the wrong way, and it's futile. Perfection is something only God has, and it's something that he works in us and through us as we know his word. It happens in his time, but it happens when we're willing to spend the time. Next verse. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. Yeah, I trust in God in the midst of adversity, and you know what? I'll be okay. I do what God's word tells me to do. I turn the other cheek with my enemies. I don't spend time fearing and fretting what they might do and how they're going to vanquish me because nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. So what does it matter? I tell people all the time, nothing much matters because the only thing that matters is God. And he has sealed the deal of the matter with me, with you. And so I don't worry about my enemies. And I know if I trust God... God will outsmart my enemies. Why? Because sin isn't too intelligent. Sin is predictable. 
You ever see people sin thinking that they're doing something really creative and they're going to get away with it like they just invented, you know, uh, this new system? You want to know what's not predictable? What happens when you obey God? Incredible things will happen. But sin's not predictable. You will be vanquished by sin. You will be vanquished by your enemies. Next verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Yeah. God's word directs us where he wants us to go in our lives. I love what uh, Haddon Robinson once said. For, for most people, they use the word of God like a, a, a drunk uses a lamppost. Just something to lean against in the dark. We're to use it to look for direction for our lives. Because God's word will speak to you. God's word will confirm in your heart and your mind what God's spirit is telling you. Next. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Knowing God's word and following God's word will bring you joy. That's a promise from God. They will bring you a lifetime, a heritage of joy, a joy that you will pass down to your children. I had uh, a chance to go over, some of you don't know, uh, and I could spend all day telling you about Forrest Everett Sr. Um, I had a chance to go over uh, Forrest Everett Jr.'s house that his dad owned, and his dad just, they were looking to get rid of some books, and, um, and Forrest was, it was the most godly person I knew. And, and his heritage was joy. He found joy in his God. He found joy in God's word. I remember sitting in a deacon's meeting with, with this man, and he would share God's word, and you could just see his face glow and get excited. One of the most gentle, sweet, loving people I ever met. And he just bled God's word. Next verse. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. God's word will last forever. It will not disappoint you. It does not come back void. There are very few things that last forever. In fact, only you and God's word and God, that's it. You want to know something that's going to be around forever? God's word. We'll be singing the praises of God through his word when we're before him in heaven. Next verse. Was that it? I thought there was one more. Um, so when you ask yourself, why do you need to read the Bible? Go back and read Psalm 119. And we just, we just skipped through it. But skip or not, when you read it, it becomes very clear. How do you live without it? How do you live a day, a moment without it? And what will you become if you do? 
God's word connects the dots of our lives. Everything begins to make sense when we open God's word. It becomes a template for us. It confirms our faith. It helps us to convey the message, the good news of Christ. Because there's something, when you're sharing the gospel and you open the Bible and you start to show it, God's spirit's going to be at work and you're going to watch people. What wasn't real now becomes real. And most of all, it conforms your lives, my life. Yeah, we're not perfect. We mess up all the time. And yet, if you can be committed to the authority of God and following it authentically, you will mess up less and less and less. If you can get away from the TV and in front of your Bibles, you're going to feel better. You're going to act better. If we can rearrange our lives so that the Bible can have the chance to rearrange our faith, we can do great things. Jesus loves me this I know because the Bible tells me so and because the Bible says it that settles it for me let's join in prayer